Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Less than hopeful is what this message is called because oftentimes around the holiday season, when you get around Christmas and Thanksgiving and all these, there's actually more suicides that happen around Christmas and Thanksgiving than any other time of the year. People start to lose hope. People start to feel lonely. People start to realize when everyone's gathering with their families and when everyone else is spending time together that they are alone and their hope leaves. John 10.10 is our verse for this series. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. That is the life, as we talked about last week, that God has called us to live. Not a life of less, but a life of more. Not a life of half empty, a life of full. A life that is overflowing, not just for us, but for the world around us. We talked about how God's desire and his plan is to fill us up so that we can pour ourselves out to the world around us. It is his master plan. When you think of someone that's, that's hopeless, that doesn't have hope, there may be no greater example of someone that doesn't have hope. than And don't lie, guys. I know you're going to want to lie, but just don't lie to me. How many of you watch The Bachelorette? Okay, come on. Yeah, you see, there's some honest guys here. You got to watch either The Bachelorette, Bachelor, or This Is Us. It's if you're married, it's one of the two. You're going to watch one of them, okay? But my favorite is when they do these rose ceremonies and you see them, you know, and, and you're up there and they're giving out roses. And like, man, like the less, as, it, as the roses get fewer and fewer, all of a sudden the girls get sadder and sadder. And there's a look on their face. They came in there so pretty. They came in there so ready. They came in there with all this hope. And all of a sudden, as the roses go, there's a shift that happens on their face that starts to, you start to see the hope drain away on national TV. You know, they never put a Cajun girl on there, by the way. Let me just say that, because a Cajun girl would be like, man, listen, I didn't want you anyways, okay? You couldn't skin a buck. You couldn't hunt with my daddy. You couldn't pick up crawfish traps. I didn't want your rose, no ways. If I ask me, I'm bringing a rose on the show. I don't know about y'all, but I'm just like, I'm pulling one out of my sleeve secretly, like, oh, I thought you gave me this. I don't know. Because I'm not getting turned down on national TV. I don't know about you guys. That's not happening to me. Um, and so there is a, a moment for all of them where, where hope fades away and you begin to see what it looks like when someone is hopeless. But it's funny because actually the opposite of hope is not hopeless. It's one of those words that, that most of the time, let's, I'm going to show you a couple words. Let's do this. Okay, let me put up the first word for me. The opposite of up is down. Great, great. The opposite of start, finish, or end. That'll work too. The opposite of skinny, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are y'all judging me, okay? Just because I got a box of Krispy Kreme donuts on stage doesn't mean that I'm fat. Happy, sad, okay? But the opposite of hope, leave this up here, don't go to the next one, is not hopeless, Surprisingly, it is not hopeless because hopeless would just be the absence of hope, but it's not hopeless. The opposite of hope is fear because in the hearts of all of us, when we lose hope, it's not that we're hopeless. It's actually that we're giving in to fear, fear that your relationship won't work, fear that the job won't come through. Fear that you won't be able to pay the bills. Fear that you won't be healed. Fear that the medicine won't work. Fear that your child won't ever come back. Fear that it's not hopeless, it's a fear that we begin to give into. I read an article one time and it was talking about people who had been held prisoner of war. And they asked them, they said, what were the motivators? The people that survived, how did you survive? And there was two groups of people. One of them said, 
I lived in fear every day of my life. And the only reason I survived is because I was living in fear and was so alert all of the time. And the other group of people said, the thing that kept me alive was not fear, but it was hope. And that if I could grab onto this hope that one day we would be rescued, it kept me going every single day. Psychologists say that the most important, that, that the strongest feelings are fear and then hope. Princeton did a review, a study two years ago, and they, they, they took all of the country and the psychological st statistics and went through all the medical charts and they came out and they said, we are witnessing right now in America, only in America, for the first time ever, an epidemic of hopelessness. An epidemic of hopelessness. Where people are literally, they don't even know what to do with themselves. We're seeing more suicides, we're seeing more depression, we're seeing more medicines. Dr. Dale Archer of Psychology Today said, if I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. Why is that? Why is the enemy after our hope? Hope is something that we just kind of oftentimes throw out. I hope this happens. I hope this happens. I hope I get this job. I hope this girl likes me. I hope I have this. But why is it that hope is so powerful? And I believe the enemy is oftentimes more strategic than we are as believers. The enemy knows how powerful hope is. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith, would you say that faith is pretty important? I would say without faith it is impossible to please God. Jesus would ask people, do you have the faith that I can heal you before he healed them? Why is hope so important? Now faith is the assurance of things, what does that say? Hoped for. Because the truth is if you can't have hope, you can't have faith. If there's no way to hope for what you're believing God to do in your life, you can't even have the faith to put into practice. The enemy is after our hope because he knows if he can take our hope, then he can get to our faith. He's not just after our sad feelings or being lonely. He's after our hope. But thank God that Jesus has a greater plan. Romans 15, 13. Now may, the God, may, now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, Think of that. God is the fountain of hope. Who is the source of hope? God is the source of hope. It's not your job. It's not your marriage. It's not your friendships. It's not your money. God is the source of hope, the fountain of hope. May he fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Think about how the, the, the Bible is telling us how important it is to have this hope because without this hope, we can't have the faith to put our faith in God. Without this hope, the enemy will constantly drag us down and we will live a life that doesn't look anything like inspiring, a fountain of hope, uncontainable joy, perfect peace. I don't know about y'all, but I am an eternal optimist. Any of you eternal optimists? Like, if you ask me, like, what is your strong suit? I will never quit at anything. I'm incredibly resilient, okay? One person could show up on Sunday, and I'd be like, hey, you know what? Next week, maybe more people will show up. We're just going to try next week. I am an eternal optimist, and I am literally, I'm very resilient, and I'm an eternal It doesn't matter what, I will turn it into a good thing. It can be like, hey, everybody in your family died. I'm like, but not me, so that's good. You know, like, that's a win. Um, I will look at a situation and sometimes you ever get around those people it's frustrating you walk in like we didn't it was horrible we lost money today and they're like hey but we're alive and you're like that doesn't help we're still we're still broke and we're alive so it's actually worse <laughs> or you have the friends that are that are eternal pessimists one of my best friends is eternal pessimist it doesn't matter what it is like walk outside like god man isn't this weather beautiful I better get some sun lotion I'm gonna burn here we go I gotta get a hat I'm like I mean it's great gorgeous weather man how are you gonna be sad about this it doesn't matter what it is, snowing, can we enjoy the snow? Oh, I, mean, I remember one time it snowed, I got frostbite when I was a kid, and now I'm not going to be able to ever go in the snow. 
Like, dog, just be excited for something, okay? It doesn't matter what it is. We could be eating at a steakhouse, nicest steakhouse in the world. Man, this steak is phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, it's not as good as the steak I cook at home, but I'm just saying, if we're going to pay 100 bucks for it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, be happy, be an, be an optimist. And oftentimes it's easy for those of us who are optimists to have hope. But it's not easy for those of us that are pessimists. Because ultimately, what happens in our mind, there's two different people. The optimist, we see the positive in every situation. The pessimist, you see the negative in every situation. And then you factor in the enemy. And the enemy is constantly doing what he can to try and pull us down, to try and steal our hope, to try and instill fear. What he steals is hope. What he instills is fear. And so we've got to be so careful to combat that. I want to talk to you today about a story that I love. 2 Kings 4. I love this story so much. Because what we're going to see is what do you do when hope is gone? What do you do when you feel hopeless? When you feel fear? When you realize that you're not living abundant, overflowing, but you're living in a life of fear or hopelessness? One day, Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. They say she was Shunem. I'm pretty sure this woman was Cajun, because that's like every Cajun woman I've ever met. You go, it doesn't matter where you go in Lafayette. They're like, you hungry? I'm like, not really. I just ate. They're like, you could eat some more. You're skinny. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm skinny fat. I'm just like a melted candle under here. You don't want to, please stop feeding me. Where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put him there for a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shumamite. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to her, Say now, Say now to her, see, you have taken all of this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? What would, what would, you, have a, what, would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi, I answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. First of all, I want to stop right here. Right here. This woman, as we talked about last week, how it's our generosity towards people that opens up the doors in their lives. It's our generosity towards people that allows God to pour blessings out on us. We talked about the verse, he who refreshes will also be refreshed. I love this because this lady, what she did is, is set herself up for a miracle of hope, not by asking for it, but by giving of herself to people. Her generosity opened the door for God to do something amazing in her life. Not because she was asking for a son, but simply because she wanted to bless the people around her. She has no son and her husband is old, he said. Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. I don't know about you, but that seems like a, a moment of hope where she's going, this is awesome. I mean, I didn't even, I wasn't looking for this. You ever have those things you're not even looking for? You walk into them, a huge blessing. All of a sudden you didn't even expect it. And now you've got all this hope and you're on, riding on the top of the mountain. And it would be great if we lived life there. It would be great if that was those moments all the time. If it just kept getting better and better and better and better. You got a job and then your boss walks in and goes, listen, I know you've only been doing this job one day, but you're doing it great. How about another promotion? You're like, yes, this is amazing. And then you get promoted and you go home and your wife's like, listen, honey, I know you've been working hard all day. I cooked you a steak. Let me take off your shoes, massage your feet. What? This is heaven. What is going on? It would be great if we lived there. But the reality of life is that that's not where we live most of the time. And life happens to all of us. And I love this woman's response when life happens. 
2 Kings 4, 18. What do we do when the hope is gone? What do we do when the hope is gone? What do we do when life happens? Because these moments are awesome to live on. But just like all of us, this woman has life happen too. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him up and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. And then he died. That's a pretty, pretty terrible ending to that story. Then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. She said, all is well. I love that, first of all. I love that because here's one thing I can promise you, that if God has put something in your life and it's a miracle of God, it doesn't mean that it's off limits from the enemy, but it does mean that when it fails, you can go back to the person who gave it to you. That you can take whatever it is that is going on in your life, whatever situation is causing hopelessness, and you can bring it back to God and go, God, this is what you gave me. When you walk as a follower of Jesus, you're going to walk through doors that only he can open up. And that when something goes wrong, you can go back to him and go, listen, here's what you gave me, and here's what's happened. And I love this. She says, uh, it is well. All is well. Then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God on Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shumamite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for she is, bit, she is bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Then she said, did I ask the Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi, I went on ahead with the staff of the, put the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him the child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind him, the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and laid on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him again. The child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shumamite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Isn't it amazing that not only in this whole process of these ups and downs, that she wasn't looking for a child. Okay? She wasn't even looking for God to do something in her life. And God showed up and said, I want to do something more than you could imagine. And she's on this high that's amazing. And then the low hits. And what does she do? She takes it. She doesn't, she doesn't even tell her husband what's happened. She takes a request and she goes to the man of God where the, where the hope came from in the first place. And she goes, hey, here's what you gave me and here's what's happened to it. You fix this. And I want to tell you, oftentimes we try and find our hope when situations go wrong in everyone around us. And we talk to our spouse about it, and we talk to our boss about it, and we talk to our friends about it, and we cry to our parents about it, and we cry to our kids about it, and we cry to... When really none of them can fix the problem that we're having. And what God says is, listen, don't go to everyone else around you. Take it to the only person who can fix it. Take it to the fountain of hope. Take it to the person who gave you hope in the first place. 
Because he alone is the only person that's going to fix hopelessness. He alone is the only person that's going to give you a life without fear. But what happens when the hope is gone? What happens when the job falls through? What happens when the healing doesn't happen? What happens when the relationship is severed? How do we fix it when we find ourselves in those moments of despair that creep in where it doesn't seem that there's any way out? That you survey all your options. Have you ever been there? Maybe I'm the only person where you survey all the options and none of them are good options. None of them bring hope. And you lay in bed at night and and you try and run through your mind all these scenarios in which you can make everything be okay. But maybe like you, like me, you come to the conclusion at times that there's no fix for some of the things we walk through in this life. What do you do when the loved one's gone and they're not coming back? What do you do when the relationship's ended beyond repair? What do you do when the job that you thought you were going to get is given to someone else? The college you thought you were getting into shuts the door. What do you do in the moments where it seems like there is no hope? And I think we go back to what we talked about last week. As counterintuitive as God is, it doesn't make sense to our mind. The Bible tells us his ways are higher than our ways. What we do in those moments is we give of ourselves to other people. And as we give of ourselves to the world around us, God begins to refresh and fill us with hope. Do you know why that is? Because your hope is directly tied to your purpose. Your hope is directly tied to your purpose. Think about the people you know that are depressed, the people you know that are hopeless. The people, What are they? At the root of it, they're purposeless. They don't know what they want to do. They don't know what they're called to do. They don't know what they're made to do. They have the conversations and they just say, I feel like I'm just lost. I feel like I don't know who I am. I feel like, what are they saying? I feel purposeless and my purposeless creates hopelessness in me. It creates a fear in me that I'm never going to figure it out. I'm never going to get it. No one's ever going to love me. No one's ever going to understand me. No door is ever going to open. And like I said, the enemy is a master of trying to put fear in our hearts. And so in those moments, he comes to us and he'll go, you're right, nobody is ever going to love you. You're right, no job ever is going to open up. You're right, you probably don't have a purpose. You're right, you probably were an accident. And we begin to get in a dialogue with ourselves when the whole time the world around us is happening and God is going, if you could just pick your head up and if you could just pour yourself out into the world around you, it would change you more than you could ever imagine. Because it truly is better to give than to receive. And as we give of ourselves and the world around us, we begin to become filled with purpose. We begin to become filled with hope. And all of a sudden, we live a life that has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with pouring ourselves out to the world around us. And then you will be the most fulfilled you could ever imagine. You, you may hear this and go, Christian, that's easy for you to say. That's easy for you to say because maybe you've never walked through a situation that's entirely hopeless. I think if you're here today and you really find yourself entirely hopeless, we have these dialogues with ourselves where we say, you, you, that's, that's easy for you to say because you don't know what I'm walking through. That's easy for you to say, pour yourself out, Christian, but, but you've never been where I've been. And the reality is, as I get vulnerable with you today, is that I have been there. That I have been there. And I'm going to show you a video in just a second. Because life happens to all of us. And sometimes people see Instagram and they see Facebook and they think this is amazing and look how awesome they are. I mean, he's got a beautiful wife and I mean, he's pretty good looking himself and he's six foot four of chiseled steel. And I mean, look, you know, just 
guy. He's got it all together. And, but it's not so. Because <laughs> life happens to all of us. And I want you to know the advice I'm giving you is not something that I cooked up for this message. It's not something that I just figured would help. It's not something to get you to serve. It's not something to get you involved. It is the same advice that I give those around me. Would you all play that video? Take a minute and watch this. What did I want to be? A wife, a mama, and a homemaker. And it's all I ever wanted to be. There's nothing like your children. And starting from the oldest, Jacob Jr., you know, I had my first child, and I never wanted to have any more children because I couldn't figure out how in the world I would love the next one like I loved this one. And I remember my mother telling me, who's a mom of seven children, and she said, Michelle, it's the craziest thing. I don't know how it happens, but your heart enlarges with every child. And there is a capacity that enlarges with every child. And you, you think you can't love any more than you love right now. And the next child comes and your heart enlarges. And it's true because then Christian came. And I'm thinking, there's no way that there could be a more beautiful child than Christian. And then there was Joseph. And Joseph's my love child. He's just that happy child. He loves people and people love him. It's a gift from God, it's the favor. And, and then there was Wesley. And uh, Wesley Ravenhill is, he was probably the easiest to love because he didn't demand it or ask for it. And then after Wesley Ravenhill was strong Manhattan, and Haddon, you know, I was going to be Anna Maria for sure. Like I knew the fifth one's a charm. I'm a fifth child. Pastor Jacob's a fifth child. Of course, science would determine that the fifth child would be a girl. No, I was wrong. It was Haddon. And um, as only God would have it, when Haddon was two years old, there was a family in our church that had a need. And the need was to find a home for this precious girl who they adored but could not take care of. And as only God knew, I had a need, and that need was for a daughter. Always wanted a daughter, and never thought I would have one, especially after the fifth boy. But, you know, God's ways are not our ways, they're perfect ways, and I love the way He does things. On September 11th, like, seemed like, I guess, an average day, but not because my fifth son, Haddon, had been having a torn ACL for a year and they had been putting off surgery because of his growth plates. Well, they determined that September 11th would be the right day to do it. So by the evening, we're home and exhausted. And Haddon, who's very social, has all of his friends pouring into the house. Wesley got off of work, and when he walked in the house and saw all the commotion going on, came up and hugged me like he always did. Hey, Mom, I love you. Wesley, how was work? Great, great. Um, I had made supper. He goes, you know what? I'm going to go grab something from McDonald's. I'll be right back. My husband went to bed early. Right before he went to bed, he got a phone call from Joseph, 
and we're sitting there wrapping up the evening and he got off the phone and I'm like, what happened? And he goes, Joseph was with his life group at walk-ons and there, he was just coming out and there was a bad motorcycle accident right in front of walk-ons. And I thought, where is Wesley? Because Wesley said he was going to McDonald's and coming back. But the one thing Wesley would do, if we had people at the house, he didn't like to come home, so he would go to Joseph's apartment. I don't, I'm, honestly, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just thinking of Haddon. But when Joseph said, no, it's, it's not Wesley, I never thought about it again. And uh, my husband went to bed early because hunting season was opening the next day. He was hosting people, shooed all the friends out the house, got Haddon to bed which took forever because of the machines and the medication and going to the, you know. And I went to the front door to turn off the, the lamp at the front. And as I was walking back, the doorbell rang. And it was maybe 11 o'clock, 11.30. And I was so aggravated because I thought Wesley left his key. So I went to open the door because people were sleeping, to tell him people were sleeping, it's late. And when I opened the door, there were, um, that night, when I opened the door, there were, I think, four or five policemen at the door. And I immediately knew. And I couldn't figure out why Joseph said it wasn't Wesley. But all these policemen were at my door. I was so confused. And they asked me if this was the Aranza home, and I said yes, and if they could step in and speak to us for a bit. And, um, and Haddon is on the sofa, and when he saw those policemen walk in, I mean, he just started, you know, sobbing, and oh my God, oh my God, that was Wesley. That was Wesley. And uh, I remember, I didn't want to hear it from the policeman, and I just walked in the back, and I woke up Pastor Jacob, and when I walked back there by myself, the first thought that came to my mind was, you know, last year's conference was Arise and Embrace the Journey. I literally said out loud, that conference was for me. I thought I was hosting it for others. That conference was for me. This is my journey. And it's not a journey you prepare for. It's not a journey you expect. And it's not a journey you understand. I just, I remember, um, you know, walking out and a policeman had left and it was just my husband and Haddon and I and there are no words to explain the emotions. When people say that losing a child is the most painful thing that ever happens in your life, it, it really physically is true. It's a physical pain that you can't explain. What do you do? What do you do when you lose? You huddle with people who you love the most and um, God gives you an outlet of tears, and I don't know why God gives you that outlet. I'm not sure what that is. I know when we get to heaven, we'll know, but we sat and we cried and we hugged.
I don't know why this kept happening, but on three different occasions, I got calls from Wesley's cell phone. Just driving down the road. The phone would ring, and I'd look at the phone, and it would be Wesley Aranza. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but you answer the phone, expect you're like, hello? Like you think, you think you're going to wake up from a bad dream. You really think you're going to wake up from a bad dream. I still feel like I'm going to wake up from a bad dream. My children still feel like they're going to wake up from a bad dream. And it's one thing for you to lose a child, but then you grieve with your children who have lost a sibling. And not a sibling that, not a troubled child, not a child that brought all this grief, but a delightful child. You know, one day that I remember, I was driving down the road and having a horrible day and driving right where everything happened. I'm at a standstill and right on Lake Farm Road where Wesley died and the girl next to me is jamming out in her car and she's doing what I would do and she's playing her drums and I look at the gentleman next to me and he's on the phone and he's laughing and he's and I'm sitting there and you want to scream because you want to share with people what really you lost right there but it's like there's a deafness in anyone that hasn't been affected and I remember traffic picking up and getting past and Christian calling me, as only God would have it, and I'm sobbing, and he said, you know, Mama, how are you doing? And I wasn't doing good at all, and he just said, he prayed with me, and we talked it through, and he said, Mama, I want you to do something deliberate for somebody else today. I want you to deliberately do something for somebody else today. Snap out of to check your heart. And I remember I left there and I went to go get a pedicure and this lady comes in and she's having a hard phone call and she has no idea what I've lost. And I remember when Christian told me that, like it did, it did calm my heart because it made me think of somebody else. And when I paid the bill and I paid for that lady, not the lady had no idea that I paid for her. I didn't tell the lady. I just, when I checked out, I told the girl I want to pay for the girl. When I did that act of doing something for somebody else, I felt a peace come over me. It was good. It was right. That would be a watermark day for me. Both of grief and of feeling the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That I knew God was with me. And I knew that God was still going to use me. And I have, on this journey of just a year, come to learn that there are two things I have found that trump grief. One is, one is love. When I'm enjoying my children, when I'm enjoying my grandchildren, Eli and Finley, it's like everything is good and everything is right and everything is as it should be. That trumps grief. And the other thing is compassion. When I reach out a hand to do something for somebody else, when I picked up that girl's tab at the pedicure, for a pedicure, it trumps grief. And that gives me great encouragement. I don't know what it would be like to never have felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
And it sounds like a romantic, beautiful thing to be comforted by the Holy Spirit, and it is. But you only receive comfort when you need comfort. And God affords each one of us in our life those moments that are assigned just to us. And it's an intimate moment where the Holy Spirit comes in and covers you and comforts you. And I have felt that. It's not the romantic part and the beautiful part, though that's a part. None of that matters if it doesn't work in the trenches. That means nothing if in your moment of loss and in the hardest days of your life, whatever that day is for you, like for us, it's the loss of Wesley. We have found God to be faithful in that moment. That is Christianity. I heard a voice from the other side singing, hold fast, love as winter turns into summertime, singing, hold fast, love us. I heard a voice from the other side singing, hold fast, love us. as winter turns into summertime, singing, hold fast, so let's what is it about being selfless that heals us? I don't tell you this just because just it's an emotional story, and sure, it's sad, and, and I'm not crying, you're crying. Um, but I tell you this because the fix for grief, the fix for hopelessness, the fix for despair truly is when we pour ourselves out. What the Bible is teaching us when it says, do not be deceived, whatsoever you sow, you will reap is that if we can get our mind off of our hopeless situation for a second, in the midst of Thanksgiving and Christmas and as we go through these holidays where it can seem like everyone's worried about them or worried about what they're going to do or what their family's going to do and hopelessness can set in, if we can pick our eyes up off of our hopelessness and turn it into someone else's situation, we begin to sow in to our own purpose. We begin to sow in to our own joy. We begin to sow in to our own hope. All of this Christianity, all of the Christian life, all of it is so that we could realize we, it, we are called to love God desperately and to love people desperately. And if any point we in the middle of that get caught where we begin to love ourselves desperately, we begin to love our situations desperately, we begin to love what we have desperately, we begin to love what we're about desperately, then we get caught in this hopelessness and purposelessness. All of this journey is about picking your head up from your situation and looking to the world around you. And as we pour out ourselves, Proverbs 25, 11, as we pour out ourselves, as we refresh others, we begin to be refreshed. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. What is the fix for hopelessness? What is the fix for fear? What is the fix in this season where it can seem like maybe you were walking through your darkest day? It's in the midst of that moment to be able to look up and go, who can I encourage around me? Who can I just step out? And maybe it takes everything we've got to step out and just give a little of ourselves to someone else. But as we do, 
you will begin to sense a new feeling of purposeness. You will begin to get a new sense of hope that will well up inside of you. And the more that you do, the more hope that you'll have. And the more that you give, the more that you'll be filled up. And the more joy that you spread, the more joy will come to you. Because hopelessness sets in when we take our eyes off of what God called us to be, which is the light of the world, and we put our eyes on ourselves. There is a hurting and broken world around us. And if we can learn to live selfless lives in this season, this whole less than full series isn't about us being full. Being full is a part of it. But it's about us being full so that we can pour out our lives to the world around us. Us being full so that an empty world can get what we have. Us being full so that the people at your work can get what you have. Us being full so that your family members can get what you have. So that when you show up to Christmas, they notice something's different and they go, I want whatever they have. Whatever is overflowing from them, I need that. You know how happy it made me to give everybody Krispy Kreme donuts? Not only because I got to eat them, but there is no feeling in the world like giving something to people. There is no feeling that will satisfy you when you give of yourself to the world around you. It's why we talk about the dream team so much. It's why we talk about jumping in and being a part. We don't need it. You need it. As your pastor, I would be at fault if I didn't tell you that serving is not for us. It is for you. It is to fulfill a part of you that God put in each and every one of us. That when we step out and we do it, something clicks. And we realize we were made for more than just us. As you walk out today, we've got some, some Christmas bags that, that we're doing. And it's a family, a family in need. And I encourage you, I think we have 50 bags out there. I'd love for us to fill them all. Our family's going to do a few of them and get them. And it's giving gifts to kids that won't have a Christmas this year. Working with an organization in North Houston that services the families in our area. And I encourage us, let's be strong. Let's step up and give people the best Christmas they've had. Let's give them the best Thanksgiving experience they could have. Because there's a lot of hurting and broken people. And it's like I told Eli this morning. We're riding here. He's eating a McDonald's sandwich. <clears throat> He's eating a McDonald's sandwich. And just he has, no, he has no idea, no cares in the world. And I looked at him and I said, buddy, one day you're going to grow up and you're going to realize how good of a family you're in. Because there's a lot of people out there that have not grown up and will not grow up the way that you do. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, you're, you will understand it one day. And he said, do some people hate their kids? I said, a lot of people hate their kids. Um, <laughs> but we're so blessed that we're here. We're so blessed that we live in a great country. We're so blessed for the people that have served to give us this great country. We're so blessed to be in a church where we can worship God. We're so blessed that we can have Krispy Kreme donuts. We're so, let's be a church that gives back. Let's be a church that gives of ourselves to people. Let's be a church that doesn't exist for us, but that exists for them that exists for those who are yet to come. That's what we're about. We're about building a place that is for those who are yet to come, for these seats and these seats and those that aren't even here yet, that one day we'll walk in and we will know that this is what built the room for those seats. It's why we exist. And when you figure this out, you will walk in true hope. Not only will you carry it, but you will be a fountain of hope to a hurting world around you. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear God, we're so thankful 
We're so thankful that we do have hope, that the hope of the world was you, Jesus, that we have hope not because of anything we do, but because you first gave to us, that you loved us enough to give of yourself. And because of that, we're just practicing what you taught us, giving of ourselves to a world around us. God, in the midst of everyone's busy seasons and Thanksgiving and Christmas, someone is having the worst day of their life. God, entrust us with that day. Entrust Valley Rise people with that day. Let us be the person talking to the cashier who's having the worst day of their life. Let us be the person that tips big to the waitress who's having the worst day of her life. Let it be us, God. Let us be a generous church that gives freely to the world around us. Let us be a hope in a hurting world because we truly do believe, God, that the local church is the hope of the world. When we are activated, when we are giving of ourselves, when we are serving those around us. Today, there's two groups of people here. If there's those of you that you say Christian, I am walking through that hopelessness. I'm walking in that fear. The enemy's trying to steal my hope and instill fear. This last month has been crazy for me. This is, I feel like I've been hopeless. I just want to take a second and pray for you. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed. This is between you and Jesus and me because I'm going to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand for me? I just want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. You go ahead and put your hands down. I'm just going to pray, and I just want you to receive this. Dear God, there is no one that brings hope like you. No one that brings joy, no one that brings peace, no one that brings purpose like you. So today, God, like the Shumamite woman, we come back to you and we say, God, you gave us this thing called life. And we need you to refill us. We need you to refresh us. We need you to lay on us and bring new life to our bodies. We need you to bring new life to us like only you can. God, I pray that supernatural joy, supernatural hope, and supernatural peace would fill each and every person who raised their hand. That as they walk into this next week, God, the doors would open that they never imagined. That they would find hope as they pour themselves out to the world around them. That as they take their eyes off of their situation and put it on the world around them, that God, you begin to pour out your harvest of hope upon them. God, do what only you can do. Your word says you bottle every tear that we cry. Comfort them, God. Comfort them in this season. And then breathe hope inside of them. Thank you on our worst day. We have hope because Jesus is on the throne. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope that you gave us. Let us be a carrier of that hope to the world around us. Bless these people, I pray. There's those of you here that, as I'm talking, maybe, maybe you've never encountered that kind of hope. Maybe this, you, you're not in a hopeless season. Maybe you feel like life has been hopeless forever because you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never had that moment where, where you met him and something changed inside of you. There was a nature change where the old person died and the spirit of God came to life inside of you and a new person began to live life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, this is between you and Jesus. If that's you and you say, Christian, that's me, but today I want to start that journey. I want that hope. I want that peace. Today I want to start that journey. If that's you, would you raise your hand for me? 
Amen. You can put your hands down. I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. You can say it out loud. You can say it under your breath. You can say it in your heart. This is between you and Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming from heaven to earth, living a perfect life, and dying on a cross for me. Raising from the dead so that I could have new life in you. Today, Jesus, I trust in you. I put my faith and my hope in you. I want you to be the source of hope for me. And today, I begin that journey of following you. Today, I become a follower of Christ. Now, God, I pray that you would seal that in each and every person's hearts. Those that prayed that, God. That you would do a new work in their lives and they would encounter a new, fresh relationship with you like they've never experienced. Bless them and keep them. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Hey, would you give a hand to those that just made the greatest decision of their lives? Amen. Hey, if you made that decision on the connection card, there's a spot where you can check the decision I made today is, is to step into a relationship with Jesus. And we want to just send you in the mail a letter that will give you some next steps and some things that will help you along that journey. We're Church Next Steps. We believe in helping you grow down this path. We're going to do it together as a church family. Hey, I encourage you, get those bags when you walk out. Let's, let's bless some kids. Let's bless some kids. Put a Valley Rise card in there. Let's let people know that Valley Rise Church is the most generous, loving church in this area. And I know that there's going to be kids that will never know or see our faces that open those presents that will make an eternal difference in their lives. So that would be an honor if you would join me in doing that. Hey, if you came prepared to worship with your giving today, we've got three ways that you can do that. You can give in an offering envelope in the past the buckets. You can go online and give at valleyrisechurch.com, click the giving link, or you can text Valley Rise in the amount to 77296. None of this happens without you guys. And so we're so grateful for everything that you invest into the kingdom of God and what he's building. Like I say every Sunday, because I want you to know my heart, until, until it gets old, maybe more five years old, I'll stop saying it, but the Bible says every man should uh, decide in his own heart what the Lord would have him give. So I say every Sunday, you pray, and whatever God tells you to do, that's what we want you to do. We want everything for you, nothing from you. That's why I give you Krispy Kreme donuts, because I love you. Let's pray over this, and we'll get out of here. Dear God, thank you so much for each and every person here. Thank you for each and every gift and giver, God. Thank you that as we sow, God, we do reap a harvest. As we give what is already yours, God, you do something inside of us. You don't need it, but we get to be a part of your plan, God. We're so thankful. I pray that you would just pour out your blessings upon every single person, God, that as this church is being built, your church, not ours, that as we get to sow and invest into it, the return would be mighty, God. I pray you bless each and every person. Watch over them, protect them. Let this be the greatest week ever. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.